I think the way that we can turn that around on them and use it against them or not against them, but in our favor is for ourselves, yeah, right? Yeah, is is to remember that our indigenous communities and our communities of color were already it's already embedded in us to participate in the community anyway. Embedded. Hmm? <laughs> embedded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> embedded. No, did I say, oh, did I say embedded? <laughs> sorry. Oh, when we sorry. say we're off, when we say we're full blood, that means we're just embedded. <laughs> no, I didn't say embedded. Did I say embedded? Yeah. Did I say that? I edit that out. No, 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 no. Okay, let me say it over again. <laughs> embedded. She's funny. hungry. That's, That's funny. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so I guess a way that we can... <laughs> Any and all expressed shared or implied suggestions, opinions, actions, jokes, discussions, or points of view shared on the Indigenous 21 podcast are our own, hosts and guests alike, and strictly for entertainment purposes only. They do not represent opinions or beliefs on any background groups we might identify with, such as family, village, clan, tribe, gender, age, ethnicity, race, religion, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, education, or career professions. Content shared on the Indigenous 21 podcast can and may be emotional or thought-provoking, and as such, may contain controversial subject matter. While it is not our intent to create environments that will cause harm to our audience, we advise that you feel free to stop listening at any time as these controversial subjects will continue for any given length of time. We believe in making the Indigenous 21 podcast to be a safe space for open, honest dialogue and or discussions about any given subject as they arise from our hosts, guests, and audience commentary. Discussions, information, opinions, or suggestions shared on the Indigenous 21 podcast should not be acted, attempted, or relied upon as professional guidance or advice. Yes, eh? welcome to the Indigenous 21 podcast, where we discuss modern Native narratives in the 21st century. But you can call me JD. And I'm a sister, but you can call me Didi. And today we have a very, very special guest. She is currently running for a Pima County Office of Service. And she comes from the Thon Autumn Nation. Her name is Gabriela Casares Kelly. And we'll go ahead and have her introduce herself. Um, good day. My name is Gabriela Casares Kelly. I'm from the communities of Bisnamo'o and Kuk, which are located on the Thon Autumn Nation right here in beautiful Pima County. And I'm running for Pima County Recorder. I am the Democratic nominee. <laughs> <laughs> so from what we understand is that you are the first indigenous person to actually make it through the primaries for for Pima County. Right. I do um often of course like we all know, you know, indigenous that is kind of like what my signage says a lot. I do want to acknowledge that you know, Latinx women are also indigenous women. Um, and so I often will say I'm the first Native American, um, you know, card carrying tribal member. Um, but I am the first to win an election uh, in the primary here in Pima County. Right. And I'll be the first Native American to ever hold an office here in Pima County, mm. which is crazy. Yeah. Um, what, uh, the cool thing is, is I won't be the first statewide. Mm -hmm. So statewide, I will be the third um, person to hold a county seat. The other two are natives. <laughs> the other two natives are from from up north. Mm -hmm. um, but in native county, I think native, that's predominantly and, native counties. Like yeah, yeah. And I think it's really fun though because um, the other two uh, county office holders, they're also recorders. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so I don't know what it is about the recorders. So office I guess that somehow we got in around to taking. Polls and <laughs> some so sort of I, some sort of census. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah, like you're gonna run for something while you're native. 
No, we have, we've got an opening in the county. It's a recorder position. I don't know. But a recorder position, um, it's a recorder is an office that oversees voter registration, early voting, and document recording. And a lot of people ask me about document recording. Like, what is that? Like, you take mm -hmm. notes? Um, mm -hmm. No. Document recording um, is for documentation that you need to last the test of time. Like, maybe the deed to your house that you're going to need in 100 years. Okay. Or um, adoption records. Or military service. Things that you want, um, like in case of a fire... Uh, to be able to always exist somewhere okay. to okay. show proof. That's what a, a recorder. Estates and things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. But I'm most interested in the office and I got started simply because I'm really interested in voter registration and early voting. Okay. So, so that was going to be my question of your inspiration to run. Just uh, how, how did, you know, I, I know as far as, you know, tribal offices and things like that, we, we run all the time. And I know you're someone who is very much community oriented and you're very involved in all of the services that are held here, especially a lot of grassroots, you know, movements and things like that, that we hold here in the Juxon area. And I'm not going to say the other land name because <laughs> I want to honor, you know, uh, your people and that this area is Juxon and it is Tona Autumn land. So oh, I'll be so using fun. that name. <laughs> also, just considering the fact, you know, the history, especially within our own state in mm -hmm. it being one of the very last to actually allow natives to vote. And, you know, just that history history within our own communities in there isn't that much of a huge voter turnout. So, you know, how has that inspired you to want to change that within your own community, within your own tribe? Yeah. So I've, I've been really interested in voter registration to begin with for a really long time. Um, but it was actually when I was working at Thon Autumn Community College um, and we tried to register students, we thought we could just have a table in the student lounge and we would get our school was really small. We only had like 300 students. So we're like, oh, we'll just set up a table. We'll do it two afternoons. Yeah. And then we can get everybody. Right. Well, it ended up taking us like two weeks. More than that. It took us weeks and weeks. We were still registering people even after um, elections had passed. And, and there was so many questions and people had um, so like there was just so many concerns. Mm -hmm. We were identifying yeah. that. Um, People who lived in a rural area or tribal communities were struggling. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times people like, uh, especially when we're talking about physical addresses, right. a lot of people don't understand what a physical address is. Right. At TOCC, the physical address there was mile, uh, Highway 86, milepost 125 and a half. That's kind of an easy one, right? Because right? it's right but off for, of the highway. It's right off of the highway. But for, for somebody like me, the home where I grew up on, you know, that is on Highway 86. You head south on Indian Route 21. You drive into the community. You turn right at the red fence. You go down mm -hmm. the dirt road. You take the Y and it's to the left of the big tree. <laughs> That's my address. Yeah. How? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 it's interesting because you know we come from a very rural area yeah, too up in situation we know up on the whole well. reservation yeah. so our mile marker you know when i'm having to put a physical address on you know as far as proof of land assignment or proof of residency out on the reservation you know it's at the southeast corner of southwest uh, <laughs> <laughs> southwest corner of um highway 264 and 87 and then, you know, you have to give all these directions. You have to go down until you hit milepost, such and such, make a left, yeah, <laughs> and right. it's the second left. <laughs> or you just so, describe what the house looks like. Yeah, and straight on down until you it, see yeah. the single wide brown trailer. Whichever dirt road leads you there or make your own dirt road. And it, yeah. and it is, and it is, it's really hard because I know as far as proof of, of residency, like for getting your car registered for, you know, with the DMV, there's a lot of places now they're not taking PO box addresses anymore. You have to have a physical location. And I noticed that's been an increased barrier for our rural commun communities in Indian country. Right. So when you think about that in regards to the voter registration form, right off the bat, you're going to recognize that 
people are going to see it and they're going to be like, wow, I don't know how to fill this out. Mm-hmm. And just simply that that lack of information that prevents somebody from filling out that form, that's going to keep them from registering to vote. And so the real way that we can help people is letting them know that you can re- register by your community. Because in communities like mine, they each have a district office with a district chairperson and a district council. Mm-hmm. And we go through everything goes through the district. In some communities, it'll be the chapter house. In some communities, you know, it might be something, some other kind of landmark. Community center. That's (laughs) how, yes. And that's all that that the recorder's office is really looking for, but that's not conveyed on the form. And so people will get this form and they're like, well, I don't know how to fill it out, so I'm just not going to do it. Or they try to do it online and it doesn't accept their their address or it doesn't accept their community name because it's not standard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we were recognizing was just so many people were having a barrier to even registering. It's not that people weren't motivated. It's simply that they, um, they struggled to find that information. And then, you know, a lot of people will push back on me and they'll say, well, why didn't they just call? That's Mm. fine and all. But if you're going to call, uh, if you're a native person and you're going to call and uh, talk to a non-native person who's not familiar with your language and you're going to say, well, I live in this mall. And the person says, where is that? How do you spell that? And makes you feel uncomfortable about having to explain where you live. And not only that, too, but also like maybe some plan carriers on different reservations aren't as high or as um, good quality as you would find in an urban setting. Um, I kind of got into this debate with a fellow tribe member of mine where he kind of put that out there for one of our um, civil issues that were happening and where we had to fill out forms as well. People were just trying to get information and a lot of, <laughs> he was kind of, came, came from it from the approach of an urban urban setting mm-hmm. where he was like, well, why don't people just call? Yes, we're calling, but it also takes up, a, maybe some people, some families are on limited da- data plans or they're on a budgeted cell phone plan. Calls, texts, and things like that, it's very limited and it's valuable. It's a, it's a luxury. And it's something that can't be wasted on, let's say, if they call a regular, you know, county office or state's office where they put you on where wait times tend to be 30, 45 minutes. That's just too precious for them to give up on their own da- data plan, things that they could mm-hmm. use for emergent, family emergency services and things like that. Yeah, I think that uh, it's, it was really interesting when I was teaching high school in the res, uh, a lot of times people would talk about their experiences teaching um, high school students in urban areas and how everybody has a cell phone. Um, and then that wasn't the case <laughs> when I was working in the high school. A lot of students might have a cell phone, but a lot of them didn't have one. Um, and if they did, it probably didn't work on campus anyway. Like they just, it, we were in a dead zone. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so they couldn't utilize those phone numbers. And like, you know, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but when you're applying for for federal free application for federal student aid, the FAFSA um, and things like that, where they're asking and they're thinking that everybody has a cell phone, like to verify your accounts and stuff like that. Yeah, that that would come up. But so what was happening with me is we started um, finding all of these barriers to registering people to vote. And then we were struggling to even find the forms Um, in our communities. We're like, well, where can somebody go to get registered to vote? Um, And all of these little things that we were finding, it didn't make sense for our community. The Thonotham Nation's the size of Connecticut. Most people don't know it's there. Uh, But there's one post office. You know, at one point, the post office didn't have voter registration forms. Well, the office of the recorder is the local office that oversees voter registration. That is their job to make sure that communities um, have access to these resources. And I had been working in this area for a really long time. A lot of my work with my, I founded a community organization called Indivisible Thono, or a grassroots community organization that provides opportunities for education and civic engagement for members of my tribe. And as we were working in all of the civic engagement over and over and over, it kept coming up 
that we didn't have a big enough voting block. We Mm. didn't have enough people that were registered voters who were showing up for politicians to be scared of us. So they weren't necessarily going to do what what we want Mm -hmm. because if they do something bad... Right. Well, if they do something bad against natives, even if we don't vote for them, because it's not going to hurt them politically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not going to, it's not going to scare them in any way, or we can't, we can't say, well, if you don't do this, we're not going to vote for you. And that's what happens in the urban areas. You know, Um, John McCain, one of his famous things that the last things that he did was he voted no against eliminating uh, Obamacare. And it was like this amazing thing that he did, but it was because people, his constituents, people who voted him in were constantly calling his office. They were showing up, they were angry. They were going to make him be held accountable for his decision, but there was a lot of them. Right. And so that public pressure is what sometimes good or bad motivates p- politicians. Right. But if we as native people, we have 22 distinct tribal nations here in Arizona, right. more than yeah, more than uh, a quarter of, of, of land in Arizona is considered tribal lands. Like mm-hmm. we should be a big player mm-hmm. Um, right. within the political realm, right. but we're not. And it's because of, these barriers these barriers to like voter registration and it's funny because i know that your opponent benny white has claimed that he is not convinced that some minority communities face higher barriers to vote and these are just the examples that he is willfully ignorant of that face our indigenous communities i know that he's already tried to use unfavorable tactics against you i know that your constituents, those that have voted you in and donated to your campaign, have turned out for you. What more um, ideas do you guys have for to to bridge these barriers or to educate to educate yeah. others that don't live out on the reservations in these rural areas? Well, I so Benny Benny White has been very obsessed with talking about Native American communities, and he says that. All I care about is Native communities. It's kind of frustrating because it really minimizes all of my experience that I have in voter registration and understanding what the needs are of the community um, at large, all of Pima County. So when I go out and I talk to people, I talk about cool things like instituting a text ballot confirmation system Mm -hmm. so that when your ballot gets mailed out, you get a text message. When um, you mail it back and we get it, you would get a text message. And when we count it, you would get a nice. um, right. a text so message, which is like Amazon or DoorDash notifications. Yeah, I mean, like, like why you get it when we... you get your food? Why not right. for your vote? Yeah, if we can track <laughs> your food, that's here. a really good if point. We, if really we can point. track your McDonald's, your Big Macs. And let you know when it's at your doorstep. (laughs) But it makes people feel so secure about it. And then, you know, if they don't, if they get the text message and then nothing ever comes in the mail, then it provides that accountability for the person like, hey, something's wrong here. This didn't come back. What can I do and how can I still engage? And so those are things that help everybody. Um, I talk about ballot drop boxes where it doesn't matter what time of day, you can just go and drop off your ballot at midnight at two in the morning. Working people um, would really benefit from this. Mm -hmm. People in tribal communities, rural communities, Mm -hmm. everybody would benefit from this. When you address the needs of the most marginalized people in your community, it helps everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I talk about accessibility a lot. um, And the way that I think it's really helpful to understand accessibility, let's say that we have an early voting site that has a gravel uh, parking lot. Well, for somebody who is using a wheelchair or crutches um, or has some type of um, you know, mobility, mobility, mobility issues. issues and they are going through the gravel, you know, they, they might be able to do it and that's fine. But what if it's raining? Then it's even more elevated and more pronounced. But let's say we pave that 
Who does that benefit? Does it only benefit the people who need those accommodations? Or does it mean that you don't have to get your your shoes muddy when you're going through? It benefits everybody and it makes it safer for everybody. And so um, Benny White, he keeps talking about all of these issues um, about Native Americans. He's always bringing up and he says that I'm, I only care about my own community, which is not true because all of Shukshan is my community. community. All of Pima <laughs> is my community. Um, so I guess in a way he's right, um, but not really. But Historically you know, speaking, he's right. <laughs> But I think that's I think that's kind of and nobody's buying it, which I love. I really mm-hmm. love how all of our supporters have maintained and and understand like the things that he's talking about are white supremacy and they're classist. It's and outdated. It is. It's, <laughs> it's very outdated, outdated, out of touch. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking personally, as a disabled voter, I have been voting ever since I was 18, but Mm -hmm. because of me living in the urban area since I was, you know, 15, I think had I been grown up on the reservation, I would not be an active voter if I wasn't living in Tucson, if I was still at home on Hopi. Due to my visual impairment, one, I do not drive. So I, at the time when I first started, you know, becoming a voter, when I voted for Obama in his second uh, term, it was public transportation that I utilized. Mm-hmm. It was, and and this was before I, you know, was really well educated into knowing about early ballot voting and just receiving mm-hmm. it in the mail, which is something that I have done now for the past four years. All of these things, I do have a address that people can find living in this urban area. But again, I say if I was back out home on the res, um, I don't think I would be, you know, an active participant with within any voting and and we we toss around phrases you know like supremacy but really what it is is privilege and if you're coming from a place of privilege and you do not know certain circumstances from you know hurdles that certain communities have to go through whether if you're disabled whether if you know you live in a rural um, area education in terms of knowing how certain requirements certain what, what would you call it like check marks and ticks and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, certain verification methods to, to ensure, you know, like you are who you say you are. Those are actually hurdles to people who do not have privilege and who do not have access to certain things, you know, made available to them, which then is a great statement for disenfranchisement. And I also think, too, wanting to add on to that, you know, as far as your um, about Benny White, because I have seen I did take a look at his campaign page as far, you know, at least on Facebook. It is very um, outdated, very out of touch. And then the fact that he keeps using your your Native American identity to completely isolate you and pigeonhole you into that your your interest is for only one area of community when in in fact you know you just happen to be a Pima County candidate who happens to be part of the Thon Autumn Nation. We're thinking about inclusivity when we're having minority mm-hmm. groups to run for these public offices. Whereas like the right wing tries to spin it off as like, oh, it's only playing to this one group, you know, basically. I don't know. It's it's interesting hearing those comments. There's there's two things that I think about this often. Number one it's that idea that white people are concerned that we will treat them the way they've treated Native Americans when we achieve power, <laughs> which um, I've been so blessed to have so many allies, so many white allies, so many white supporters who understand this concept and right. who understand the need to move forward um, and that that I am talking about inclusion for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I mean, and that means for the right, too. That means for Republicans and Democrats and Green Party and Libertarians and Independents, I just want more people to have information because information is power. Um, And so I want them to feel empowered. The other thing about that is um, I ask people not to vote for me, not because I'm Native American. I ask them to vote for me because I'm qualified, I'm creative, excited about making voter registration and early voting as easy, fast, and accessible for everybody. Me being Native American is just the cherry on top. Right, (laughs) Because then I have... I have this perspective into this whole other um, community. And I think that that is powerful and it's, it's, uh, it's important. And it gives me a different um, angle 
to just see the world from. Right. And so it really benefits everybody. And even today, um, I got an, uh, an email from a newspaper reporter who's going to be writing something in Arizona Daily Star asking me a question about autumn, autumn language. And that's really cool because it's the first time that they're ever thinking about including autumn language in the Arizona Daily Star, right. which everybody is going to go to. But they, the reason that they're doing that is because I'm involved. Right. Hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't be thinking about that. Right. It is a benefit to our community. Another thing that uh, an exciting and unique, at least to me, uh, <laughs> you being one of our candidates, is that you have capitalized on your social media platforms, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and you've been making these great short you know, films and things like that just for, you know, and, and, it, and you incorporate voter information, how the ballots are supposed to be filled out, where they can take their ballots to. I just wanted to touch on that. Like how, who has been your director for those projects? <laughs> or like how do the ideas come from? Like, we should I, post yeah. this. You know, where do those ideas come from? That's really a great question because what happens is people start texting me or Instagram messaging me. Facebook comments, whatever it is, I'll get like a question. And for every one question I get, I have to assume that there's another 12 mm -hmm. people who had the same question that didn't ask me. And so sometimes um, I'll put a rush on it if I get the question like two or three times, where it, sometimes you might see something that's just kind of like, well, it's a graphic that's not the best quality, but it's because like, Three people just asked me in a time frame of an hour. And I'm like, I'm just trying to get this information out. So a lot of times the questions or the, the posts that we come up with um, are actually because of questions that we get from social media. So um, I think I did a TikTok that had like 10 different things. The top of the ballot, it looks like there's a pencil for the mail-in ballot in Pima County, well, you have to fill it out in black or blue ink. And so then people started asking, well, if I use the marker, is that okay? And, you know, they start yeah. asking all of these different questions. What happens if I lost my envelope? What happens if I accidentally threw it away? Those are the kinds of questions that will make us create more content. And it's usually just based on what people are asking and how. Will you have one for the results? <laughs> Oh my God. I don't. Will you have so a I, dance this, or something? <laughs> oh my God. I don't even know what we have planned. And usually it strikes me at like, you know, midnight, I'm out here, my family is asleep or something like that. And then I decide to, you know, record something embarrassing, <laughs> me doing the robot or something. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. We're, we're, we've been trying to be smart about planning ahead and thinking about commonly asked questions. Like we're preparing a graphic right now for what to take if you're voting on election day oh, and, okay. and your um, identification, because it's a little confusing. Like you, you can't use a tribal ID um, right. as a primary source. You have to use that plus something else, oh. but it could be like a, you can use your tribal ID and like your phone bill. As long as it has your address and your name on it, you can use things like and that. It has and to have so, the same address. <laughs> mm -hmm. <name> on it. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of like a oh man, oh, that's my mom's bill. Those are the kinds of barriers, you know, that we're running into people. Or you can bring your voter ID card. Yeah. Do you plan on still work. using the same strategy if you happen to win the office of recorder? I've been thinking about that because I just posted this really funny Jason Memoa meme right. and it got a lot of traction. I and saw my that. friend, that was my favorite. <laughs> I know it's so good. My friend, she shared it on her Instagram story and she's like, This is the kind of official information we will be getting from the future recorder. And I'm like, I wonder if that'll be, you know, like it's kind of funny. But I think that Jason she, Momoa has yeah, seen it. Well, it's catchy, <laughs> it's targeting the younger people. <laughs> people at the same time so you're already kind of catching younger voters to you know <laughs> <laughs> right and it's so one thing culture right you know meme culture that's yeah. exactly what it's it's supposed right. to go viral but we're using and, it for the greater good <laughs> right, exactly and keeping it so. entertaining and it's hilarious. <laughs> Speaking of the younger voters, um, have you personally seen more interest from younger voters and with your turnout, like interaction wise? What has your demographics been looking like interaction wise on social media for people who say they're going to vote, people who are supporting you age wise? Can do you have any details on that? 
It's across the board. Um, it's really, really across the board. And, you know, for my primary win, I won 65% of the vote, which is huge. Mm -hmm. That is a landslide a win. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is. And we saw a really good um, chunk of evidence that showed that we had a lot of first-time voters mm -hmm. and infrequent voters. Um, as far as the age breakdown, um, I don't know. I don't know that off the top of my head. And that'll be more something we look at after the general election, because you don't know until then. But for now, it, we've seen, because we, if you think about it in this way, for Facebook, you think about people on Facebook being anywhere from the ages of like 25 to 65. Mm -hmm. That's about the range. You know, it's a really big range. But if you then go to Instagram, Instagram, <laughs> the age would probably be, I'd say maybe 18 to 30, 40 years old, maybe. Yeah, right. If you go to Twitter, it's a different age group. Yeah. If you go to TikTok, it's a way different um, age group. But we're having all of this interaction on all of those different platforms and we're providing different types of content and right. trying to be responsive to the different platforms, like the way that they consume information in those platforms. We're not putting up too many videos on ticked on uh, Twitter because people don't really watch as many videos yeah, on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, that's but more they do. Text, right? Yeah, it's like text threads, things like that. Conversation. So, Speaking to so only. Okay, place. so we're talking about digital media consumption yeah. here. Um, due to COVID, I'm pretty sure you know in-person interactions have been extremely limited. This you know, election cycle. Right. Um, so how have you connected with the elderly, the older generation who does not use social media, especially if they're on the res? Um, we've done a lot of messaging. Number one, emails. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is uh, something that a lot of elders um, are using. And then we also, whenever we send out emails on our, on our platforms, we ask people to share in that way. The community where I'm from, we're old school. We're all about the flyers. So we made sure to get big chunks of literature um, right. out to the nation um, so that people can distribute them in those ways. And, you know, we try to so try to get the them out that way. Pamphlet. Mm -hmm. We also, you know, with those districts, we took the time to go district to district and presented to all of their district meetings. Mm -hmm. That was really interesting because the height of COVID um, you're having people in the tribal communities learning this technology for the very first time for this particular reason. It allowed me to, instead of driving two and a half hours, three hours to go to a district meeting and sitting right. there waiting, I got to join virtually. But it was really different in the urban areas. You see everybody on their camera. Everybody is there. They're using the chat, um, that kind of thing. But um, when I'm presenting on the nation, a lot of times it's just me. I'm the only <laughs> the only right. uh, screen you can see and nobody's really using the chat or when when they first started. I don't know if anything has changed, but it was making sure to do those those presentations virtually and to t to talk about these issues and and to explain things on the ballot. One of the big things that I do throughout my campaign just naturally, I guess, is what I call demystifying um, the process. And so I break down common questions in ways that I think it's easy for people to understand. And that's part of my social media strategy too. It's like, just give people little chunks. Right. Like you don't gotta, you gotta, I'm not yeah. going to read a 15 page a manual. Then they're going to step away. So then if you just give them this little interesting information and you present it in a funny way or a silly way, or, you know, with nice graphics or something like that, then they have that one little bit. And then the next time they get another little bit and another little bit. And, right. you know, before we know it, we have this really informed community where, um, you know, people are talking about things they've never talked about before. And so that's part of the strategy. So as we're getting ready to wrap up this episode, what is one message that you have for younger Native voters or, you know, those within the Native community or maybe even just outside of the community? Why is it so important to have your voice heard? You know, not just only in this election, of course, but, you know, in future elections as well. Um, there's two things I always talk about. One is I live in Congressional District 2, which uh, is now Ann Kirkpatrick, but back in the day, it used to be Gabby Giffords. Um, Gabby Giffords was shot um, in the mm -hmm. head, 
And when she could no longer serve, Congressman Ron Barber took her seat. Um, and then he ran uh, an election against Martha McSally, who is now running for Senate. He lost that race by 167 votes, not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, 167 votes. That's it. Which means that Martha McSally, you know, took that seat. And if we start thinking about who in our lives we know who sat out that election, we start thinking maybe the lady at the front desk at my school or my my nephew or my my sister, my sister's boyfriend or, right. um, you know, things like that. And you start thinking and you can start counting up and everybody can do that. Right. And so what happened then is Martha McSally um, took control of Congressional District 2. She became a congresswoman. When she first got into office, she was talking about the wall and how stupid it was. And it was a waste of money. She said that it was a waste of taxpayer dollars um, and that she needed to, that we needed to have technology and people guarding the border rather than a physical border wall. And then Trump started paying attention to her and started um, influencing her. And now she went um, just a couple months ago to go sign the wall. Yeah. She went there and I literally wrote her, autograph, her <laughs> autograph on the wall because she thinks it needs to happen. It's part of our security. And she changed her tune because of the influence of Trump, right? right? right. Um, because she wanted to climb. Well, she ran um, in office. She ran for um, state Senate and she lost because she knew that people by then she had been exposed that. Nobody was going to vote for her. She had lost those 167 right. votes. Right. People were going to definitely not vote for her. So she ran for state Senate and she lost, but she still got in uh, because Doug Ducey appointed her um, as a Senator to replace uh, John Mc Senator John mm. McCain. Mm. And so she now has that title and she's running again. Mm -hmm. And now she's running um, against uh, Captain Mark Kelly. Right. And even if she loses, she is still a high profile uh, Republican leader with a lot of influence throughout the country. That was 167 votes. Mm -hmm. If we had 167 votes in the other way, she would have lost. She would have been a loser. She would have been nobody. End and she of would story. have been done. She would have been yeah. done. 167 votes, one vote makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I talk about a lot um, is that my hooer, my uh, my grandmother who passed away, um, her name was Catherine Hosey Maria. She was born in 1918. And, you know, this is my grandma who used to buy me ice cream from the ice cream man. Right. She used to put, you know, band-aids on my knees when I skinned them. Um, this is just my grandma. So not like some great, great ancestor or something like that. Just my grandma. Well, she was born in 1918, which meant that she was not born uh, a United States citizen right. because we didn't get as Native Americans. We didn't have citizenship until 1924. Mm -hmm. right. So people are talking a lot about women's suffrage and women having the right to vote. What that really means is white women having the right to vote right. Um, because we were not included in that. It was still an achievement that, you know, the suffragettes, they were beaten. They were murdered they had their children taken away um just to get the right to vote right. um but it didn't benefit us didn't right. benefit women of color or people of color so in arizona it wasn't until 1948 when two world war veterans two veterans who fought for our country overseas combat veterans came back from the war they tried to register they were denied they sued the state of Arizona. Right. And in 1948, we won the right to vote. But it didn't mean that we weren't still subject to voter discrimination mm -hmm. or right. intimidation tactics. The KKK could literally stand outside of a voting uh, polling location or uh, people could take pictures and show people's bosses. Or you could walk up and they could say, we need you to take a literacy test. Right. They could do all kinds of things and to still deny you. Right. You know, to be able to actually cast your ballot. And so it wasn't until Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Congressman John Lewis, and all of the people who contributed to the civil rights movement that paved the way for the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which 
um, which is why we now see the 75 foot barriers when you try to go to to vote. And that's why you can't take pictures inside. All of those are meant to protect us to make sure that we feel safe. But my grandma, she didn't speak English. Yeah. Um, my grandma was a, she was an awesome leader in our community. She was a trusted elder. She had visitors every single day um, at her house. She was amazing. Hilarious, funny, smart woman. How about she only spoke awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she did not have the right to a translator until 1975, which really wasn't that long ago. Right. So when we talk about voting, you might be surprised to hear me say that I don't think voting is the most important thing you can do. I actually think it's the least that you can do. Mm-hmm. It's the least you can do if we have the right, if you have the ability, if you have the information, <laughs> like right. just go vote. Mm-hmm. We we right. need you to, to do that and then we need you to get piece of paper. Like, and then we need you to get involved, you yeah, know, right. and yeah. and and it's 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 both. And you know, for as native people, indigenous people, a lot of times we're like, is this part of us participating in this colonization? And we have some really real reasons mm-hmm. for right. being apprehensive about trusting mm-hmm. our government. Right. But it, nothing is ever going to change unless we're part of um, this system, unless we're, you know, there to raise our hands or to yeah. question things. If we're going to embrace their technology, if we're going to embrace, <laughs> you know, their mm-hmm. their style of clothing, if we're going to embrace their food, if we're going to embrace their language, then why not take part in the democracy? We do have this tendency, like you said, to be very apprehensive, be very guarded of colonization practices. Historically, looking at it's embedded in us to already give into our own communities anyway, to participate into our own communities and just knowing and to contribute to our own society. So these practices, while I know it's quote-unquote colonized practices, it's still us giving giving participation to our own community because in essence, like I know you mentioned this in a lot of your, um, like I said, your social media platforms and your videos is that the votes that are going to most count, and I know you said it too, Sami, is that are the votes within our local regions because they are the ones, even though people have a tendency to look at the presidency and the vice presidency seats what people don't realize is that the local vote is what counts and what makes the most impact on us one of the things that i always help people with this um to understand this is you know donald trump is not concerned about the road in cowlick Mm -hmm. you know that has potholes He is not concerned about the road that you are driving on every day. He might be concerned about these larger global things or maybe not concerned about those things. Um, But he's not concerned about the road that is going to to, um, affect your tires um, or it's going to or it's going to cause an accident. Um, He is not making decisions in your schools about your children um, school boards are doing that. Um, and so like the lower the, the office, the actual more impact it has on your everyday daily life. Um, and then of course we have these, this, um, Donald Trump and we have the far right, um, that has been pushing against that and taking funding from, from those sources. And so a lot of times we're asking bad people to do good things. Um, you know, even when we think about like what happened at Standing Rock, or we think about the the protests that are going on right now at the border wall right we're even even if you're not participating and you're choosing not to participate people who have positions of power in government are making those decisions for us and we're begging them Mm -hmm. we're begging them to make a different choice and they don't care and so we're never going to make that change unless number one, there's more of us um, who are voting and, and scaring them and, and making them concerned about those seats. Um, right. Or number two, we're in those seats right. and we're taking over mm-hmm. and right. we're the ones making the decisions, right. which is why I'm choosing to do the thing that I'm doing, which is running for office. Could you also argue that 
by people not participating is also a political statement in itself and saying that you are complacent with how things are running. Like, like you, you must be okay with it if you're not willing to have your voice be heard or speak up against it. Yeah, it, there is some complacency there. I'm most concerned, like, I don't, I, I understand why people are angry and I understand why people don't want to participate. And if they have made that decision, then it's that's right. fine. It's still their right and to do so. Yes, yeah. and, I, mm-hmm. and I support them. And I support them and I understand where they're coming from, especially if they're Native people. I definitely understand where they're coming from. Black people who are literally being killed by our government. Mm-hmm. I understand that Latinx people who ha- are having their children taken away uh, or, or being uh, targeted by the government. I definitely understand. And, mm-hmm. that, and that's okay. Right. But what I'm not okay with is people who don't know who are not informed, who don't know about these options. We're making the decision for them because we're not providing them with the information they need to be able to participate. Rather than argue with somebody about whether this is colonization or whether they're right or they're wrong for voting or choosing not to, that doesn't that's not going to help anything. What is going to help is us reaching those voters who don't know how to cast their ballot, who don't know how to get registered, who don't, who are intimidated by the process. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're fighting against this because we've only been voting uh, native people. Like I said, freely Mm -hmm. since 1975, we're having to establish the culture of voting and making it an important part of our everyday life. One of the ways that I help illustrate this is with the mask thing. So right now we live in a culture of wearing masks. But um, in March, when all of this pandemic first started, we were hearing reports of, yes, it's you should do it. And at the same time, no, you shouldn't. It's not going to make a difference. Um, and you would show up to some places and they would be and then you would see other people and they wouldn't be. And so I think about the very first time that I wore a mask to go to the grocery store, because until then, I had only seen some people doing it and I'm like, are they just being extra? I don't know. And I felt uncomfortable and I felt embarrassed. And um, I walked into the grocery store and I was very self-conscious that I was wearing this and I was looking around at other people and looking to see like, is everybody wearing masks or am I being ridiculous? Am I that lady that everybody's just like laughing at? Like, oh my God, this Mm -hmm. lady is wearing a mask. I was really uncomfortable. But everything like started leaning towards like, no, this is what everybody is doing. This is how we're keeping safe. And um, I felt better about shopping. And then the third time and then the fourth time. And now I have a collection of masks. Mm -hmm. And now I have a really cool collection that have like native theme on it. You know, natives, natives vote. I have some that are just artistic pieces. Um, I'm looking at different designers like, ooh, I like this mask. I like that mask. I've been we have on Etsy. <laughs> right? <laughs> we have people. been changing, right? We have been changing the culture around mask wearing. And we have to do that same, the very same thing about, about voting. Is voting only a white people thing? Yes. Right. Do, yes. do only rich people vote? Mm-hmm. Right. What is going to happen if I show up and I don't know anything? Is there somebody to ask questions? Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. Everybody's going to be looking at me. Those are the kinds of things that we have to encourage other people to to work past that. And and it sounds really easy, but voting is very emotional. We vote with our hearts sometimes. And fear is one of those things that we're having to think about. Mm -hmm. It is. And so we're having to change that. And you are doing that. You're doing this work simply by inviting me (laughs) and thinking that, what I have to say about voting is important and you sharing it with your bubble of people who maybe, you know, didn't think voting was important. And maybe they're just going to watch because, you know, they're into your back and forth and you making fun of her for saying inbreded. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe that's why they normally watch, but then they hear something about voting and they're like, Oh yeah, that was pretty cool. Maybe I'll vote too. (laughs) But you know, but, but that's us. That's how we change this culture by normalizing it and talking about it and advocating for it in the in those ways and by modeling it, you know.
but I think that's is, this is part of it too. Like we have been changing the culture around voting and now we're also going to be changing the culture around who runs for office. Right. Um, there's like 17 natives who are running in the state of Arizona um, in this election, you know, nationwide, there's an increase in natives, um, right. both natives, both Democratic and Republican, but, you know, but we're seeing an increase in, in representation and throughout the country and our visibility is high. Deb Haaland. Heck yeah. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, and my auntie Deb, you know, like, um, and sure. And my cousin, I call her my cousin, Sharice Davids, um, you know, being out there and in the forefront and, you know, on television and in media and in non-native publications and native publications mm -hmm. and um, all of those different spaces. It's just been really interesting and exciting to be a part of, to be a part of that. And for people to say the native vote is what's going to flip Arizona right. um, and to, to understand like all eyes are on us. And, right. um, yeah. you know, that's one thing I've been, I've been thinking yeah. about a lot recently is like you know historically it's a red state but if more of the native community actually turned out you know like we said earlier 22 tribes within this right. entire state you know like we could potentially turn the state blue <laughs> well and that's interesting too because that's 22 official states mm -hmm. of, uh, official, official tribes but, we, yeah. but then we think about like how many other tribes are represented within the state like we just have a really like we tend to be intertribal right, right. um so mm -hmm. we have all kinds of native representation um throughout the state that you know isn't documented anywhere and when we have higher native participation we have higher democratic participation right as much as i i criticize and am also very heavily invested in the democratic party they are most likely to share our values um, with Demo with uh, Native communities mm -hmm. and Native people, you know, which is things like taking care of one another, mm -hmm. providing for one another. Um, you know, it's very this neighborly type of uh, value system Takes that the village. Democrats have. And that's exactly, that's like, that's all Native. Y'all learned that from us, right? <laughs> right. Uh, thank you for taking the time to have me on here and what? chatting with you guys. Really? <laughs> it was fun. I enjoyed recording I this episode. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Indigenous 21. If you are listening on Anchor, be sure to go ahead and check out our YouTube video where you can see the visual video part of this episode. Uh, we do upload to Anchor first. So if you're listening on Anchor, you're one of the first audience people to actually listen to this episode. YouTube people, we're going to go ahead and link our Anchor. Um, and you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, different podcast um, platforms. You can just type in Indigenous 21. You'll find us there. Also look for us on Facebook and Instagram to keep updated with our social posts, letting you guys know what's up as far as future projects. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe and continue to engage with us. And we hope to see you in the next episode. Gabby, is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners? We're coming through. <laughs> Indigenous woman. Ooh, Indigenous. Yep. We're coming through. <laughs> <laughs>